You're listening to a message from Ogden Church, a gospel-centered ministry for all people. We hope during the next few minutes you gain a better understanding of God's love expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. It's great to be here together with everybody. I wonder if any of you have ever watched the classic PBS show, The Joy of Painting, with Bob Ross. Anyone familiar with the show? It's a good one. It's a good one. Yes. If you haven't seen the show, the premise is basically from week to week, a frizzy-haired man named Bob Ross paints different landscapes, and that's the show. He starts with a blank canvas, and there's a, a beautiful painting at the end. That's what happens. All right. And it's a weirdly mesmerizing show to watch. You watch it and you're like, oh my gosh, I want to watch five more episodes and fall asleep and cuddle something all at the same time. And as I'm watching you know, Bob Ross, there, there comes a time in every show where he'll do something and I'm like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, I'll just add this ochre up here in the corner. And you're like, I was with you, Bob, but then you did this and I'm not sure how it is that affects anything. Like, Why? But then what happens, of course, at the end of every show, is you end up with this masterpiece, and that one stroke that to me seemed completely pointless was a part of something greater. Because in the hands of the master, every stroke is a part of a masterpiece, and the result is it created greater appreciation for me. It's like, wow, I definitely couldn't do that. And and if you've watched The Joy of Painting, what you'll realize, one of the actually really cool things about Bob Ross is that, you know, if he does happen to make a stray stroke, it's not a problem. It's a happy accident. And suddenly it becomes like this hugely like beautiful part of the painting. And you're like, okay, first off, when I try to paint anything, you confuse it for what a, like, my one-year-old could do. And second off, I'm not sure I've ever made an artistic accident that, was, that anyone could say was happy. <laughs> but in the hands of the master, every intentional stroke becomes something more to appreciate. And it creates appreciation as we see the master at work. And this week, as we begin our look at the book of Ephesians, we're going to run into a subject quickly on in chapter 1 that can tend to make some of us feel uncomfortable. We're going to talk about the concept of God's sovereignty. We're going to hear words like predestination, the concept of election and being chosen. And that can tend to make some people feel just just uncomfortable, controversial somewhat as far as theology is concerned. But what's really important is, for starters, at Ogden, we're not going to steer away from what God's word clearly says. So a passage like this may include some stuff that is a little bit uncomfortable, but it is God's word. And so we're going to go there, and we're going to talk about it. And... The other thing that we see is that one of the reasons that topics like this do become uncomfortable is because when you talk about the idea of God's sovereignty, the idea that he is ultimately in control, that he's put things together and doing things in a certain way, what's what's tough about God being in control is what that means is to acknowledge he is in control is for us to slowly recognize and acknowledge that we are not. To the degree that we allow God to be in control, we then 
are not in control. But as uncomfortable as this concept may make us, we're not going to shy away from it. And in fact, what we see as we look at Ephesians chapter 1 is the tone that the Apostle Paul takes as he writes the beginning of Ephesians 1 is a tone that is of complete and overwhelming joy. Because when he beholds sovereignty, it creates joy in him. And it can create the same joy in you and in me. And in this passage in Ephesians 1, we see the Apostle Paul responding to sovereignty, creating joy in his heart in three particular areas. It is a joy that we are chosen, redeemed, and united. Beholding sovereignty creates joy in our hearts that we are chosen, redeemed, and united. Our passage begins in Ephesians 1, verse 3, and verses 3 through 6 read like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with the pleasure with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now, again, this passage can make some of us feel uncomfortable, right? We're, we're getting this idea of, of predestination, which can make a lot of people feel just kind of cringy. But what we see here is when you, when you look at the passage, look at the way that the Apostle Paul is actually framing it, he is overjoyed. So praise God. Wow! In fact... Verses 3 through 14, actually, in the original Greek, are all part of one long sentence. It's broken down differently in our English. We've added different things to make it more readable. But in the Greek, it's all one sentence in the same way that, you know, maybe if you've ever heard a particularly excited five-year-old tell you about their day that was like an awesome, awesome day, right? Where it was da-da-da-da, 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 and then we jumped in the mud, and then the mud got this, and then we threw a bubble at each other. This is Paul's level of enthusiasm. When he looks at what God is doing, he's like, oh my gosh. And so that same thing that can make some of us feel uncomfortable, the Apostle Paul looks at God's sovereignty, his control, and says, this is unbelievable. Because this same God, who is all-powerful, who is over everything, who is in control, he chose me. And he chose you from the beginning. It says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And it's not, when we talk about it, sometimes it's easy to say, well, listen, if, if God's all-powerful and, and he does all this sovereign stuff, then it must be so cold, so, so unpassionate. But we see the opposite here. Right? Even when we talk about predestination, what does it say in verse 4, four into 5? Is in love he predestined us. It is an outflow of his love that he chooses us for adoption through Jesus Christ. In accordance with not just his will in some kind of scary and impassionate way, or dispassionate way, but it's his pleasure and his will. And Paul looks at that. He says, this, this creates joy in me because, wow, I'm chosen. We can experience joy when we see what we've been chosen for and who chose us. But I think what can be challenging 
for some of us is we allow ourselves to be so caught up in defending the power of our choice. We need to feel like we are the ones who chose Jesus. We are the ones who got ourselves into a good place. And when we do that, what we do is we, we fail to allow ourselves to actually sink in the reality that we were chosen by the same God who created everything. And there is joy when you realize, wow, before everything started, before I could have possibly even done anything to deserve it, if it was at all possible for me to do it, which it's not, before any of that, he chose me. That's amazing. The truth is there's something beautiful about being chosen. I think this is something we can all relate to. I remember when I was in elementary school, uh, every year we would have field day, right? And there were some events that everybody would get to participate in, like the water bucket relay or different things like that. But, but what everyone wanted to be a part of was, was the tug of war. Okay, because tug of war, only five boys could be chosen, and then five girls. It would be a boy's bracket and a girl's bracket, which is sacrilegious these days, I'm sure. But <laughs> I really wanted to be chosen as one of the five. It's like, I, I, don't, I don't care if I'm in the water bucket relay. I, be, I want my peers to say, Jack's the guy. Get him on that rope. And year after year, I experienced the disappointment of not being chosen. And I'm frustrated, right? Because I'm like, listen, man, I know I'm not the most popular. I'm not the most strong. But aren't the fat kids supposed to be good at tug of war? Just throw that sucker on the end of the rope. He's hard to move. Nope. Alternate tug of war participant in fifth grade. That's the best this guy got. But you know, all joking aside, I think the truth is that a lot of us know the feeling of desiring badly to feel chosen, to feel special, wanted. And this is where the sovereignty of God and the message of the gospel comes in with such powerful joy and good news. Because for those of us who are tired of feeling like we're always picked last or not picked at all, we see this God who before the creation of the world chose you and me through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. In Christ we were chosen where the world started. It's an amazing thing. And so when we look at the concept of sovereignty, this shouldn't cause us to feel frustrated or uncomfortable with trying to grasp onto our control. Instead, we should be just overwhelmingly grateful and overjoyed at this God who is in control and yet chose to choose you and me to be a part of his family through the work of Christ. When we see that we have been chosen, our sense of identity changes from where you feel like everything you do has to find some way to measure up to knowing that our value has been secured. And we experience intense joy. The passage continues in verses 7 through 10. We see the Apostle Paul goes on sees that we're not only chosen, we are redeemed, and we experience joy in that. In him we have redemption through his blood, talking about Jesus, 
the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to put into effect when times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. We can take joy in the fact that God sovereignly chose us. And we can take joy in the fact that he sovereignly uses Christ as our tool of redemption. And by that secure fact, we say, God, you are amazing because it was always Christ and it was always enough. Something that we couldn't break. We can't mess up. It's amazing what we see actually in this passage, right? This, this is kind of the centerpiece going on. Everything goes back to verse 3 where it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It is Christ who is the focal point of all blessing, and it is here we see that in him we have a redemption. Amen. And that it was planned. And that it could not be taken away. We see in the bottom part of this passage this, this idea of, of mystery, which when the New Testament talks about mystery, it talks about the ways in which God's redemptive plan was, was always there, but in the Old Testament times in particular, they looked at it, they said, well, I don't know what's going on here, but now suddenly with the person of Christ, all that was before mysterious is now revealed. That there was always a plan to redeem. That those things that we see, the temple, the sacrifices, all that led to the perfect sacrifice. It was always meant to be perfectly satisfactory to cover the sins of the past, the present, and the future. For those who come to Christ. It was always the plan. And so we see, we can't, we, we see that and we can't help but, but be with Paul and understand why he's so infectiously upbeat. He's like, this was always your plan. This is amazing. With all of his wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. This was always the plan, but we get to see it. I'm saying that those of us who were born in the Christian age, we have a benefit that many of the heroes of the faith that came before us doesn't have. We see the fulfillment of what many of these people often looked for. But it was always Christ. It was always the plan. And we can take joy in the fact that we are perfectly redeemed through what God lavished on us in his grace. And it is something that was always planned and cannot be messed up or broken by you and me. And I think the truth is we all want something in our life that we feel like we can't mess up or break. Right, when I was trying to actually find a way to illustrate the idea of something you can't mess up or break, I, I was trying to think of like a toy or something, so I figured I'll, I'll type it into Google. They, they know things that you can't mess up. So I said, something you can't mess up. And what I found was not toys or anything like that, but what I saw was article after article of self-help blogging <laughs> that said, hey, you can't mess up what's meant for you. You can't mess up what's meant for you. And it, it's kind of, the more I read, it seemed like this commonplace thing where people are looking for something they can't mess up. And the, what, but what's interesting, right, is the theme on many of those blogs is they'll say something like, well, you, if it's meant for you, you can't actually mess it up, is, is their way to try to feel very justified in their outcomes, 
right? Okay, this didn't work out for me, so it must not have been meant for me because if it was meant for me, I couldn't have messed it up. So really, it's going to be the next thing. And far from saying you can't mess up what's meant to be because we have a sovereign Lord who has secured us something eternal, it's you can't mess up what's meant for you because the right thing will work out and you all, don't you all deserve something good? Well, and the truth is we all want to believe that. We all want to believe we deserve something good, but this desperate longing that exists outside of God to have something that we can't mess up, that if it's meant for us, we can't ruin it, it's, it's ultimately crushing. It really is, because, because here's the reality. If you embrace the, the basic idea that we all deserve positive, good things, then what happens if we don't get them? And you can't mess up what's meant to be. Okay, so then what happens if you never get that spouse? Never have that child, get that job, that promotion? What if you never receive that healing? If, it, if you can't mess up what's meant for you, and you all deserve positive things, then if you don't get those things, then, then what the world's telling you is then you must have been meant to be lonely. You must have been meant to be unsuccessful. You must have been meant to be sick. That's what the world tells us. Because if you deserve good things and don't get them, then you just were never meant to be good. And that is crushing. That is devastating. Now, but the good news is that's not the gospel. And the gospel brings us joy. You know, you, you can't mess up what's, what's meant for you. It's, it's not because you're intrinsically deserving of anything good. In fact, what the Bible tells us is we actually are intrinsically unable to possibly be good enough. But because God is lavishly gracious, we can have security in things, in his salvation, in his redemption. Because his redeeming work on the cross is something that you and I, we didn't ever earn it. And we can't break it. Because God is the one who is in control. So if that spouse, that child never comes, that job, that healing, if that doesn't work out, then what you have is a redemption achieved on the cross by Christ that is confidently reliable, secured for you, that cannot be tampered with, that cannot be taken away. If all else falls, it cannot be taken. And in the face of that redemption that was always planned, that can never be broken, the knowledge that we are perfectly redeemed causes us to look at our God and say, God, you are good. I can put my hope in you because this, this other stuff, that may, that may break down, but your goodness is assured even when mine breaks down. God's sovereignty creates joy that we are chosen, that we are redeemed. And in verses 11 through 14, we see this idea that we are united. It goes like this. It says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation, 
When you believed, you were marked in, this, in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What comes through in this passage is the, is the bringing together of two formerly hostile entities into one thing under the work of Christ on the cross. Right, this is what he says. He breaks it down between, this is something that was true of, he says, we, right, in him, we were also chosen. What he's talking about when he says we is he's talking about the Jews and the Jewish people. He says the Jewish people were chosen, but then you were also chosen. The Gentiles, the people who were not historically a part of God's covenant community, now suddenly... Those people that we often looked at as people undeserving of grace so far and distant, now we are united together under the same promise of what Christ has done and that God always intended to bring these two formerly hostile things together through the work of the cross. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And Paul gives praise back to God, saying, when I see that your plan all along was unity, these people that I never thought could ever possibly be anywhere in relationship with God, now suddenly they are brought in, and I am overjoyed by the fact that you, in your good grace, designed the hostile to be united. You know, one of my closest friends, and actually this is a weird theme in my life that several of my closest friends are people who conventionally, if you, if you looked at, you know, like you, if you were trying to find your dream friend, you put down like, I like these things and these things and these things. I need to find someone like this. I would never have found these people who are my friends. Right? I, I, you know, in high school, I was into theater. I did ROTC. This guy who I became really good friends with after college, he in high school was a track athlete. He hunts avidly. I do not do those things. I'm too suburban. Uh, and we, we would sit and talk, and we became extremely close friends. And there was a time where we looked at each other, and I was like, I, do you think we would have been friends in, like, high school? And he was like, no, I definitely would have hated you in high school. Like, I was like, fair enough. We, we probably wouldn't have got along. That's true. We just, there's just nothing that you would ever predict that would bring us together. And this is, again, like weirdly several of my closest relationships now are these people who it doesn't make sense. But why, why are we such good friends? Well, it doesn't make sense, but, but there's something about Jesus and our faith that we shared that suddenly all these other things that, that would have made us no, like impossible to be more different, they didn't matter. And we were brought into unity about what we shared in Christ. And if I could be permitted to make just a little plug, this is why I am just really excited that our student ministry, Ogden students, for, for our high school kids in particular, we're affiliating with Lenawee County Young Life. And I'm really excited about this because in my years of youth ministry, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, I want to preface this, but what I've noticed is when you try to get kids excited about evangelism and invitation, what happens is you tell kids, hey, we should really try to you know, be invitational and evangelize, and they say, okay, I'll invite all my Christian friends. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, 
but it overlooks the fact that in any given school in our county, there are tons of kids, maybe even friends of some of these kids, who don't know Jesus and desperately need the good news of the gospel in their life, particularly after a year like we've just had. This is why I'm excited. It, it's what Young Life was built for, to reach those kids who are far from God and help those students who already know Christ to not only love their Christian friends well, but to help them see their role in their schools in a different way, to reach out to those who are lost, to run towards the students who are hurting, that they might know the love of Christ. I'm excited about what we're doing because the truth is that there are amazing stories that have yet to be told of kids in Madison and Sand Creek, Lenaway Christian, different schools around our community, of students who are hostile to God, students who you and I maybe would not ever expect to be followers of Christ, and yet they will have their lives changed by the radical and uniting love of Jesus Christ. And the formerly hostile will be brought close when we call them brother and sister. God brings all things into unity. And, and while that's a really popular political buzzword, anybody who says, and it's easy to say, I want unity, but here's the thing. Those people who tell you, I want unity, what they have in themselves is no power to bring true unity. Doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. But in God's sovereign power, he brings true unity through Christ because it is only through the gospel of Jesus Christ that every single person in this entire world is put on the evil, even footing ground of being infinitely fallen short of the mark by our sin and yet given perfectly equal opportunity through Christ to be brought in by what he did on the cross. There is humility in realizing that God's sovereignty means that apart from God's grace, I am really no better than the next person. And in appreciation of that grace, what you and I get to do is step towards those who are still lost, revealing the truth of an awesome God who before the foundation of the world had this plan through Christ to bring the hostile into unity with himself. So Paul goes through all of this, and in verses 15 and 16, we get some closure on, on this. He says this, he says, For this reason, ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He says, I am so grateful for you. I give thanks for you. Why? He says, for this reason, I do this. For this reason means everything that came before is why. I am so excited about who God is, about what he has always planned to do, the power that he puts on display. And for that reason, I can't stop praising. I cannot stop praising. Because when I look at the fact that we have a God who sovereignly chose me, that redeemed me in a way that I could not mess up, that brought hostile into unity under Christ, I am overwhelmed by that God, that power. You did this and I am amazed. 
when we step back and acknowledge the sovereignty of God, then suddenly coincidence turns to providence and we can be filled with joy and amazement. But you know, the truth is, I know that there are some of us in this room probably who, this doesn't necessarily feel like it should be good news. You've gone, you feel like you've gone from trouble to trouble. You're in a difficult season of life. And so to hear that it, that it is God who is sovereign, that he is the one who is in control, then it makes us angry because it's, well, God, if you're in control, why am I in this? But it is the hope of the gospel that says through Christ, we enjoy something that we are chosen for that we did not deserve, that we have something, a redemption that is promised that we cannot destroy so that even if every step along the way, we never see the kind of joy here in this earth, we have a joy of what is promised that we can't mess up. Now, I haven't watched any of these movies personally, but I've been told that there's something true about Hallmark movies. That they are... They're basically very predictable, and the 20 minutes before the end of the movie, you, you have this moment where you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know how this is going to turn out. He, he went away. There's a huge problem. They're not going to end up together. But suddenly, somehow, at the end of the movie, they're still kissing and fake snow still falling. How much more beautiful is the assurance we have in Christ? That no matter what the middle looks like, no matter the difficulties we face in this world, we know that the end is promised and it is good, not through what we could do or not do, not what we could mess up or break. We can't break what God has promised and secured for us at the finish line. It is the beauty of sovereignty. Say, God, if you have all the power, that means that I don't have the power to break what you're doing. For some of us, we need to hear that good truth. That no matter the middle, we have the assurance of a good finish, not in some hollow worldly way built on positive thinking or, or in yourself, but based on the strong power of God, what he has said he has done through Christ for you and for me. You know, and for others of us, what we need to remember is when we talk about things like the sovereignty of God, this should never cause in us a sense of, of entitlement or pride but always humility to say, wow, God, you are that big and bigger than I'm thinking. And that it would cause us to be overjoyed at the greatness of God. A joy that, by the way, should not be confused with happiness. We're not necessarily promised happiness at every step of life, but we can have joy because of what is promised. And in God's sovereign wisdom, he knew that we would fall short of his mark. But we take praise in the fact that in God's sovereign power, he secured a path for the fallen to be brought home. And we can rest in that joy this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you chose chosen unworthy people through the work of your Son, before the foundation of the world, God, that you are a God who saves and that you do have all the power. May we be more amazed at that each day, that we might be more transformed by the reality of your love. 
And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. Please join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 or 11 a.m. If you'd like any more information about Ogden Church, just visit our website at ogdenchurch.org or Facebook. 